Welcome to Make It, Share It, the podcast where we explore the simple but profound process to overcome fear, doubt, perfectionism, and more enemies of creativity. Make it and share it. We'll talk to creators of all kinds, from artists and writers to entrepreneurs and inventors, to learn about their creative process, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them by making and sharing. Whether you're an artist, entrepreneur, or someone who wants to create but feels stuck, this podcast is for you. Creativity, meet courage. All right, well, welcome back to Make It, Share It, and excited now to talk a little bit with Lauren and Steven. Uh, we're going to have this episode where we talk a little bit about some of the guides and people that have helped us along the way. Uh, we've had some great guests over the past few episodes that we've gotten to hear from and learn from, but on this one, we're just going to the three of us talk through uh, who's helped us, who's mentored us along the way as we struggled with making things and sharing things. And then we're going to talk about some of the things we're working on right now, more just to give you some real world examples of where the struggle is as we're doing that work right now. And I know Coop even has a project that was kind of born out of working with a guide. And so we'll hear a little bit about that. So should be a fun ride. Excited that you're with us and we'll jump in. Coop, Lauren, how are y'all doing today? Good. Doing great. Glad to see you guys this morning. Likewise. Yeah, doing good. First, I don't know exactly how this will release, but Coop's got light in this episode if you're watching on YouTube. Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I, I opened the vampire's lair a little <laughs> bit and let in some natural light. I'm melting, but it's okay. But it's great. It works out. It's great. Yeah. Great. You look good. You got a yeah. glow going. Thank you. I, I don't look or- as orange right. as I did from my artificial light. And That's right. and we did talk before we got started. Where we have to see it now is the Millie Vanilli shirt. Now that I know that yeah. we like, you just got to show that. us. Okay. Yes. And then how how did you get the Millie Vanilli shirt? I have a few little shops online that sell really random like flea market stuff. And it was an Indonesian like t-shirt. A lot of t-shirts end up in Indonesia. I don't know how. Like you can find like a 70s YMCA shirt (laughs) and like these people get them in Indonesia and they just sell them. So it takes you like six weeks for them to show up. But man, they're awesome. And they're real. So it's like a legit 90s Milli Vanilli merch shirt it even has a giant logo on the back it's fantastic that's amazing i loved millie vanilli and my world was rocked when that whole scandal came out i'll tell you that right now i bet it was yeah i thought they were the coolest looking dancing sounding their whole vibe like whoever marketed that and put it together it worked because yeah. i was on board you're hooked yeah okay wait a minute real quick so because now this is like a little <laughs> rabbit hole and so i'll try to stop these but So we know through Let's Play Hurdle that you obviously know a lot about the people that do that work behind the scenes that help market and produce this. Do you know who is doing that for Millie Vanilli? Because they seem like the real hero. Like the. Yes. Okay. There was a, it's a whole record label behind it. There's a new documentary that's about to come out Mm -hmm. on the whole thing of Robin Fab. Um, But it was you know, in the same way that the guy that used to do all the boy bands that started new kids on the block and, and would just find five or six guys that were from, you know, Mouseketeers and all that and put them together. He saw these two guys with the hair and the look and went, I got an idea. Yeah. And he brought them in and tried to get them to sing and they couldn't sing. They were just in great shape and they could dance 
And they were like, well, and they had the fashion, they had the look. And it was like, well, we would bring in writers and people to do your album anyway. We'll just get somebody to sing it too. Mm. And today's world, they could get away with it. Yeah. Because everyone else is doing it. Like, especially live. And now there's like with MacBooks, there's like triple redundancy. Like you will not have vocal tracks fail live without like the venue being hit by lightning. Wow. So Rob and Fab were just ahead of their time and they would be famous today and no one would ever know they can't sing a lick. And no one would care. No one would care if they found out. Yeah. Good grief. Okay. Things yeah. have changed. Well, yeah. Things have definitely changed. Thanks for indulging me on that yeah, you're little excursion. I can't wait for this new documentary. Yeah. It's going to be great. I saw I, something on like Instagram reels and I I didn't have time. I was somewhere where I couldn't listen. Um, and it was video of them kind of being put on the spot to sing. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I need to go. I've seen some of those. It. Yeah. The saddest one you'll ever see is a few years after the turmoil and they were, you know, shunned and made scapegoats of the whole thing yeah. and we're just a that they there's a video of them with a vocal coach at a piano trying to learn how to sing that might be it so that they can sing their own songs and it's it's only sad because it's how i would sound <laughs> if you videoed me with a vocal coach you just don't have it yeah you just you know, yeah. I could I could hide in a chorus of 80 and not be the one bringing the whole thing down. But if you put me out front with my good friend, Fab, <laughs> it's going to be bad. And it's hard to watch. I bet. I'll okay. say that. Well, I'm torn on <laughs> if I'll watch it or not now. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, cool. So now we'll do this. Okay. <laughs> actually get into the No, I'm sure hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, is we'll get into talking about guides. And so, Coop, let's start with you um, on this. Uh, tell me about, you know, again, when we say guide, we're thinking about anybody trying to create something, again, whether they're designing the interior of a home, they are writing a book, they are, I, I would even think the other day, like when you're designing a family, like when you're thinking about what are the rhythms of my family, I'm trying to create something with intentionality, um, when you're doing that, you're on a journey and there's problems that you face, right? You, you don't know all the things to do. You get stuck. You're criticizing yourself. You're wondering, why am I even trying this? A guide, what we mean is somebody or uh, a book you read, a video you saw, a person that helped you, that came into that moment on your journey and helped you kind of break through, right? That's what we're looking for here. So Coop, for you, like along the way as you've been making things and sharing them, is there a guide or two, you know, things that just stand out for you in this space? The weird part for me is that I've never had, the only guide in person that I can't, that I've ever had is someone, you know, like in college when we were doing film school would be Brian Elliott. Yeah. He was our screenwriting teacher and he was someone that would actually read your screenplay which is, you know, might be 120 pages long. He'd read it that night and he'd redline the heck out of it and give you some suggestions and kind of put you on a better path, tell you what's not working to someone who's read more screenplays than you've ever imagined. He was the only in-person 
guide, mentor. I had great teachers growing up um, from theater and music when I was young, like to play piano and that kind of thing. But my guides have all been people I don't know. So that's another thing that for me, they've been so instrumental on my path to writing books, putting out content, that that's another thing for me that's really pushed the make it, share it thing. Because Rick Rubin has no need to stop down and write his thoughts down in a book and record his thoughts in a podcast on why he's making this stuff and what his thoughts are about it. Because he has every musician on any genre on the planet wanting to actually do it and create the music with him in his studio that's called Shangri-La because it's so perfect and amazing. But the fact that he stopped down to share his thoughts have spurred me on and helped me break through so many things. So I would say Rick Rubin's number one, like far and away. And then the masterclass stuff, right going into the pandemic, the Christmas before the shutdown, my wife bought me a one-year pass to masterclass. It couldn't have worked out better because then I had nothing but time and we all ran out of TV in like six weeks. And so I watched every single masterclass they had. I watched Steph Curry's on shooting to Steve Martin. Um, I mean, every single person that was a musician, uh, photographers, and every single one of them, I would write down two to three pages of notes of their creative process. So a lot of them, the guides were helpful to me because they validated the way I do things. So like when Rick Rubin talks about, he sits down and starts to write a song like this. And I was like, that's what I do. It helps you go, okay, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm not doing this wrong. I'm just not as good at it or something, or I just need more practice. Um, But then, so those are helpful. But then the one that really shocked me because I almost quit multiple times was Dead Mouse, the DJ, the guy that wears the thing. So Dead Mouse brought you into his world of how he makes electronic dance music, which is not really my thing. And he could not have been any more different than me. He starts with like sleep deprivation because for him, if he hasn't slept in a day, it takes his filter away where he's like, we self-filter way too much. When you're writing a song, as soon as you mess with those first few chords, you're like, eh, that's not good. Eh, that's not good. Right? That kind of sounds like that song. And he's like, when you haven't slept in 36 hours, you just go with it. And you're just kind of like, no, I'm just going to follow this rabbit hole and see where it goes. And it might take you somewhere that you would have already chopped it off. And I, to me, I was like, oh, that sounds exhausting. I would never do that in a million years. Are you kidding me? I'm already tired. So, but it was challenging. And he, every single thing he said for me was like, I would never do that. But it was like these little, you know, it was an extra little bullet in the gun to go, well, when I'm stuck, he just gave me 10 things I never would have thought of on how to be creative and how to break through and how to try something new or get out of your comfort zone. So oddly, I find myself going back to the dead mouse masterclass way more than I ever in a million years would have thought. But Rick Rubin, to me, everything I feel about music and the reason I've been obsessed with music since I was, my first memory is five, like of of music stuff is five years old, hearing Born in the USA on the radio 
and just thinking this song jams so hard. I have to play guitar. So I went to my garage and took my dad's badminton racket. That was, he didn't play badminton. I don't even know why we had this thing. It was hanging in the garage. I got it. I cut a bunch of strings off because I knew it had too many strings on it. I got in trouble for that one. I tied his belt to it and made a guitar so that I could jam out to born in the USA. So to me, I have never been a music theory guy. I don't have my master's in music. I can play just about any instrument, but if you ask me what I'm playing, I can't tell you. Um, and it's because I've always tried to stay connected to the feeling and just what do I hear? What's in my head? What's in my heart? And what makes me tap my foot and bounce my head? And to me, the more you get into the scientific things of music, I've just seen that kill people. I've had guys tell me in a studio, like, you can't play that note there. Are you insane? Why? It's like, well, it's not technically in that key. Tell that to Rage Against the Machine. Like, what, who, what are you talking about? Like, we're not taking a test today. It sounds cool, doesn't it? No, no, it does sound cool. I'm like, then we're playing it. And so I've always, so Rick Rubin is that times a million. He's not touching the board. When you play something for him, he lays on his back with his hands on his stomach and his eyes closed. And he's like, I'm waiting for you to move me. I'm waiting for a move, like something to, I want the hair on the back of my neck to stand up, make me feel something. And if not, we need to start over. And it has nothing to do with, hey, let's add another guitar track. Ooh, what if we went to the, the fifth minor there? Because then that would bring a jazz scale to, you know, no, 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 I don't care. Yeah. Make, make me dance. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I watched an interview that Anderson Cooper did with him that I'll put in the show notes. It's probably the most yeah. accessible because he's doing it for 60 minutes. So, you yeah. know, there it's a wide ranging audience. And so they're trying to give you a, a high level window into Rick Rubin's world, but it's a lot of what, what Coop was saying. But if you want to explore that further, uh, it's an interesting interview to go and watch. So yeah. Thanks Coop. Lauren, what about you? Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, I I think more of my guides have some personal and then some from far away and one that's a mix of both. Um, I wish it were so clear cut as Coop where it's like it was music and it was this. I have so many different desires and things that I do that it's hard to narrow it all down. But one that comes to mind with writing so, and honestly, any kind of creative endeavor was John Acuff's book, Finished, which you guys know me. I have a hard time finishing things. I can get it started. I have a song that I shared with y'all. But guess what? It's exactly where it was six months ago or whenever that was. And so he's great. In fact, there was just even something this morning I read by him where he talks about the inner critic and creative work and how the inner critic doesn't necessarily need to be completely killed or silenced, but needs to be inserted at the appropriate time. And so that was encouraging for me because I tend to have a very loud inner critic who steps in pretty early in my process. And I need to just tell him to be quiet or her. I don't know if it's him or her. It's just a voice that's really loud and discouraging. Um, and 
So John Acuff has been someone that from afar I've learned from. Um, also a, a friend, Jenny Allen. I remember sitting with her. Gosh, it's been, I think, 15 years ago where she is like a dreamer and a doer. She dreams everything up and then she goes for it and does it. And I remember her just sitting across from me at a table at La Madeline somewhere in Dallas saying, okay, what are you dreaming about right now? And it always takes me a minute to parse out what exactly am I dreaming about? Because sometimes I'm dreaming about five different things. And so having to become clear on what is it I'm dreaming about? What's kind of at the forefront of what I want to do? And so she just kind of pulled those things out of me and then was like, okay, go do it. And I was like, is it that easy? Because it doesn't feel that easy. So she's been someone that's been kind of like a coach. So I think she's been a coach. And then even my husband, Matt, has been a coach where he's like, just go. And, and I can so see them going and doing, dreaming it and just doing it. And I'm inspired by them, but I also get a little discouraged because I do feel different from them. And that difference will sometimes be my reason to stay stuck and to not go and do. Hmm. And so there've been other people in my life that have been guides. In fact, I meet with a therapist. I met with her yesterday to talk about this very thing where I have these things I want to do and I want to work on, but that critic comes in so quickly to just hit pause and like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we should be doing this. Are you good enough to do, do this? Do you have what it takes to do this? And so she's been someone that is, I can identify with a little bit more. She's not going to be the Jennies and the Mats who are like, just go for it. You can do it. You know, if you dream it, you can do it. Take the first step. She understands how I'm a little bit more nuanced and, and I'm just like to be okay and to make friends with that inner critic and not try to kill it because I think all of my energy goes towards killing the inner critic and not towards making something. Um, and so they've been my guides. And then my friend Christy, who does a lot of the same things that I either want to do or am doing. She, she's been a friend probably more than she's been a, a guide explicitly. She's guided with me with just her doing. So I've watched her do things. I've watched how she's done it. I've learned from her. We are very similar in, in kind of our gift sets. Also how we approach different things. And so I, by just watching her, I've learned from her. So those have been my guides. I wish I was more of a masterclass person. I have tried watching them. I think I get a little, uh, seems a little daunting and I can focus on what's different more than I can focus on what's the same. And Honestly, you guys, I, I know I've said this before, have been great guides for me where you have both seen something in me and have called that out and encouraged me in that. And I think what I need, maybe more than, maybe I eventually will need a guide, but right now I need coaches. I need people saying, just go for it. And I've done things. That's, that's mm. the reality is I've written books. I've 
I've written songs. I have done the things so I can do them. It's just getting that, that encouragement from the sidelines of keep going. And then I'm hopeful. So I feel a little bit more like a creative in progress than maybe you guys are. Um, maybe my next phase is, okay, you're going. Now, how do you get better at what you're already doing? And so that's, those, are, those, those have been my guides. They've been only ones from far away. John Acuff, Christie's a little bit far away, but she's my personal friend. And the others have been guides that have been a little bit more like coaches. And so now maybe I'm at the point where I can look to other guides to improve what I've already done hmm. and to, to kind of be the kinder inner critic or the guide to the inner critic even um, to get better at what I'm already doing. I, I would say to that when my inner critic, because I think there's two kinds of inner critics. If, if your inner critic is, that's no good, that's no good then I think you're on the right track of like, okay, I've got to talk to someone about this. Then there's other people that I've worked with closely that their inner critic is just more of a perfectionism. It's like, no, I like that, but I got to fix this or I got to do this a little better. And that's more of a, man, it'll never finish. Like there's like Rick Rubin even talks so much about like at certain points you have to walk away from the song because it's never done. It's done for now. It's done in this group and now we're going to share it. But you could have worked on that song till the day you die. So I feel like it's got to like figure out if you have a perfectionist inner critic or just like a trying to kill all things inner critic. But then for me, what's helped push through that, because I was more at certain points, it was never done. I could always tinker, was collaborating. So I started working with collaborators that were better than me. And when you work with someone that was better than me and someone that I respected what they did, and I'm writing with them or working with something and I'd play that thing and they go, dude, that's perfect. All right, we're going to start with that and just set it. I was like, I would have picked that apart for the next two days. And it was something of like, I had to like hone my inner ear and trust myself. I'm going, no, I liked it. I think it's just, it almost became part of my process to pick it up, pick it apart and perfect, perfect it when that was not serving the song or the project. And having someone else in the room I was collaborating with that looked at me and went, that's what we got to do. That's it right there. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then it worked. That's So that to me helped me break through. I agree. And I think sometimes I've experienced that in songwriting in particular. Yeah. Now it did have to do with that person, their personality and them understanding my heart and mm. where... I've done collaboration and I've disagreed with the collaborator, but oh. then there was one, honestly, all the songs that I wrote uh, on my EP, The Narrow Place, the my collaborator was so incurred, like just help me see a good idea and just go for it, like you said. And mm. so I felt this confidence of, okay, yeah, that is that is a good idea. And we That's need to good. go this yeah. way. And I, because like you said, I can second guess myself. I have both inner critics. <laughs> I'm the one okay. that's like, yeah, that's dumb. That's no good. And the one that, well, even what you tried, this is how it needs to be better. Um, but I do think 
collaboration with the right people in particular. And that might be just personality based and yeah. and maybe that's me, but I agree when I've collaborated, that has helped me move forward. Yeah. Um, I thought I wrote down uh, Ratatouille, the movie. If you haven't seen that, it's an incredible story about the artist or creator and the critic and their relationship. And in this case, you know, it's literal uh, that there's a, uh, the rat who wants to be a chef uh, in Paris. And then the critic, you know, he's the big well-known critic for the food scene in Paris. And so they're uh, back and forth. They, you know, how their relationship is so intertwined and where it's at its unhealthiest, um, and then where it's at its best. And at the end, it's fascinating to see it come together. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful movie and story. So check that out if you, uh, you want to. And then the other thing I'm hearing is just that we need other people. It, I think that's where, when I look at it, it's like the way that we're designed is to be finite, that we don't have everything that we need just to do it by ourselves. And so what I'm hearing is that that's the theme. And then for each of us, we were going to need different parts that whatever we don't have. Right. So if you're a, a Jenny or a Matt to use Lauren's examples, what you may need is not so much. You don't need that person coaching to go do it. You're, you're doing it a million miles an hour. You need help and support to actually go execute all the details of it. You're a visionary. You're going to need people to support the work. Um, and they're, they're not necessarily visionaries, these people, but they love to grab a hold of a good vision and then go help execute it. But if those people try to just do things on their own and their office, they could do some things. I mean, they could write a book or they could do like a solo podcast and those would be great things. And they do those things, but it wouldn't be their full expression of creativity. And so I'm, I'm more, I'm like Lauren in that. I, it's probably a mix. Like I have some big visions and things that I dream up and imagine, but I will, and I said this in our pilot episode, I will overthink things before they even get started. So, you know, having had the chance to work with like Matt, I've watched that he doesn't have that issue. <laughs> uh, and so I know, you know, you get jealous of that. You're like, man, what's that like? Just to be like, just go do it. Uh, and it is encouraging. Uh, so mine's, it's a weird thing. And I'm saying this to say, like, it illustrates we have three different people in here, all three different in the challenges that emerge, but they're all just very real and present challenges that we need help to overcome and, and guides, whether they're Rick Rubin from afar or, uh, John Acuff from afar or they're Jenny Allen or Brian Elliott or Matt Chandler, or Kristen Rabelais, or Tony Cooper, and all these different people that are in our lives helping us, that's essential. Like nothing will be created without that. So, and if this is the problem with me, it's, I'm like, well, the objection is because of philosophy in college, the objection is what about Dostoevsky or, uh, you know, what about somebody who mostly just wrote books and was by themselves? If you go read their stories, they were surrounded by other people and community uh, for the most part. There's a few people that have stories where they were pretty much locked in a room and pretty isolated. But even then, there was usually a sibling or somebody that they were bouncing ideas off of. 
it's just really hard to find where it's just complete isolation uh, and, and to create in that. So I hear that in all of our stories with guides. Um, I did want to read, I'd share this with Lauren and Coop, this uh, quote from Jesse Armstrong. He's the showrunner. I uh, was a showrunner of the show Succession. Um, so incredible show, but very, it has a lot of darkness and tragedy in it. So keep that in mind if you, you go into it, but it's also really well done. So he's, he says this about creativity. It's easy to have the impulse to write and it's easy to enjoy that floaty feeling of one day I'm going to do something. And as soon as you start writing it, if you're a normal human being, and probably also if you're a good writer, your reaction will be like, this is terrible. So to get from that feeling of, I might have something to say to writing that terrible draft that you hate, anything that will get you through that, whether that's like having a date in the diary that we're going to shoot this little teaser for YouTube, or if you've got a friend who you trust or a creative writing group, something you do with pals or something online, anything to make you finish, then do the next one. And I love that. Uh, I think that sums up, make it, share it. What we're trying to do with this podcast and encourage you in is that got to get started, got to move, got to create, and then share it and then do the next one and repeat that. Uh, I love that uh, in our One Night in a Thousand Years episode with Craig Cunningham that he shared <laughs> this masterpiece idea, right? That if you think this one thing you're making is the masterpiece, you're probably not going to finish it because that's a lot of pressure, right? It's like, how do you just get a routine of creating, making, sharing? So I think that's a huge exhortation uh, that I commend to all of you out there trying to create. Uh, and then I echo the masterclass. It's, it, I, I am like you too, Lauren, in that I, I still haven't finished my favorite masterclass, which is with the Duffer Brothers, uh, the creators of Stranger Things. But I loved the beginning of it, and it's helped me in particular because their big press is the same thing when they're writing. Just start getting ideas down. You know, start. It's not going to be great. And so they give examples from Stranger Things, which I look at and go, this is huge, built-out, complex world with this epic plot, beautiful character development, all this entertainment. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how did they do that? And if you listen to them tell their story in the masterclass, it was choppy it, at the beginning. They didn't know who these characters were. They just kept moving. And that was just encouraging to me of like, yeah, I don't, when I'm creating and writing a story, I don't know the answers to what's driving this particular character all the time. And so I'll want to quit. So I'm just like, oh, I must not be the Duffer brothers. Um, it's not there versus like, just keep moving. So those are, those are some of mine. Uh, and again, I'll try to do show notes on these. The one that always sticks out to me that's encouraging is I'm, I'm a huge, my, my method is to get the horrible thing out as fast as possible. I'm a better editor. And so I need something to edit. So I'm like, sometimes I know it's bad and I'm like, I'll fix it later. I'll fix it later. But mine is always, Kent knows this, one of my favorite films of all time. And I know it's up there with Ken is Good Will Hunting. And in the good old, well, I have to get, sorry, I can't, I did a visual for YouTube yeah. and then I also have to do that just because it makes my heart happy. I love that movie. Go ahead. It's the best. And, you know, Kent and I were doing film school together when this movie comes out. And I mean, you got Matt and Ben friends writing movies, being in them. It was just fantastic. But in like the DVD commentaries, which is another thing I used to just tear up like crazy and listen to every second of there was like a draft of Goodwill Hunting where they wrote it as 
Will Hunting is an alien. That's how he's so smart, that he's from another planet. And he goes, and we wrote it. And we thought that was potentially a way to go. And we finished it. And he was like, and I don't remember who we showed it to or how we woke up and went, oh my gosh, okay. We got to start back at act one and just <laughs> no alien, no alien. But that's super helpful to me to know there's no bad ideas. Let's explore some things. And you're going to have to get to the alien draft before you can get to the Oscar winning draft. And so putting down the alien draft is not a bad thing. And it's not a deal killer. And just because they wrote a horrible version of that script didn't mean it was dead and unsalvageable. It actually spurred them on towards winning an Oscar. Yep. So it's like, I always think of like, man, that's a bad idea. Yep. Um, which Ben Affleck's line that I think it was what Ben Affleck said to Matt Damon in the writing part of that was he said, please don't judge me by how bad my bad ideas are, but judge me for how good my good ideas are so that we can be in this safe place and we are willing to throw out, what if Will's an alien? And no one's going to judge me and go, hey, he doesn't need to be in this room. Um, but just judge me for like, it may be one of every 10. It's going to be like, oh, that's usable. Yeah, let's go with that. And I thought that was another good thing when collaborating. Don't bash someone for a horrible idea that you need them. Yeah. yeah. You need those bad ideas. <laughs> Amen. Um, <clears throat> Lauren, was there something you're going to say or... Well, just kind of that collaboration where it happens, rarely does it happen in isolation that you, creativity or something that you make. It makes me think of, uh, just recently I, I saw something about Tolkien where, you know, he was throwing out ideas about what would eventually become Lord of the Rings and he wasn't even sure it was very good. And I can't remember if it was like with the Inklings, so C.S. Lewis and um, I forget who the third person was. Charles or, Williams. Yeah. Or if it was before the Inklings, because he had something in, I think, college or university, a group similar to that. Um, but I, that's, that was encouraging to me because it probably felt to him like Will Hunting is an alien. You know, it was like, does this even make sense? Uh, is it a good idea? And he just threw it out there and he was able to get feedback like, yeah, this is great. Keep keep going and um and so we aren't the fir first ones ever to need that yeah my favorite thing thinking about him writing that insane world yeah. is like i mean he's making up races of things languages. and worlds languages geography he's drawing maps i mean this is going but what always cracks me up is because of the creativity. I just imagine his creativity completely ran out. And they're like, hey, man, you got to name that mountain. And he's like, okay, let's just call it uh, Mount Doom. I'm out. I got nothing left. <laughs> they're like, what was Mount Bad not available? Like, no, no, no. Come on, just spend five more minutes. We need a real name for the mountain. Mount Doom. I'm done. I can't One think out. of anything else for this darn thing. Mount Doom. That's great. So every time I'm watching the films or something, they, they say Mount Doom. I'm always like, ah, I wish that was the one thing they would have gone. Let's get a better name. Yeah. Let's get a better name. Well, let's do this because it's uh this actually episode has really been about guides and we're, you know, 35 yeah. minutes in and I love that. I think that's great. Um, the one thing since we teased it is maybe if you want to finish Coop with what you're working yeah. on and, you know, we'll, we're, we've heard some other things that Laura and I are doing and I'm sure we'll hear more. So yeah, what, tell us about this, where it connects with the guide process. 
Okay, so I've talked about this before where Billy Corgan lately, I think it's because he's a father late in life and he's really mellowed out and he's bought, he bought the WCW, the old wrestling thing that like I grew up watching because he loves it. And he's touring again as Smashing Pumpkins with some of the, the original members. And I just think he's in a happier place. And he is teaching what he learned. He grew up, I mean, he dated Courtney Love before Kurt Cobain. He knew Kurt Cobain the competition with Nirvana. Like he's just opening up to some of the things he did poorly, becoming famous, talking about all these things. And at one point in this interview that I was watching and just devouring this interview, he was saying, you know, he's trying to be the, the artist and provide things for people that he wished he had when he was 13 was his line. Like who's the musician I wanted to be when I was 13 and listened to when I was 13. And so that was really convicting to me of like, I'm not Rick Rubin and I don't have the platform to teach and guide others. If I put out the same things on Instagram, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. And like, who's this dude just talking about music all the time? So I put my money where my mouth is and I'm teaching a songwriting class this semester at my kid's school. Yes. I love that. Awesome. So, it's going to be rad. So here's the thing. They have after school, like a loquium program at this classical school. And it's like basically art. They can do, they have dance, theater, bookmaking. They have Taekwondo, um, Legos where they build and make robots. So all this stuff. And so I was like, man, what if I just did a songwriting class? And it's for fifth through ninth graders. I'm going to take 12. We're going to have four that have no musical experience whatsoever, four that play an instrument of some kind. It could be the recorder. Don't even care. And four that can sing. And we are going to learn how, I, I think in the course description, I said, we're going to learn all the rules and just so we know how to break them. So they're going to learn everything they can about how songs are structured and made. And we are going to write a ton of songs and since it's a songwriting course, other people might sing them. Like I'm going to maybe bring in some professionals to sing and record some of these. So I'll be calling on people on this podcast uh, to, to sing it up. And I think for the, like the recital at the end of the year, some people are going to perform a few songs live and we're going to play a few recordings and put it out on a CD, like a, on Spotify of like that semester's eight or 10 songs that make the cut. Uh, but I'm really excited because I think I can get a lot of good songs out of kids going back to that. They don't know what to do or not do yet. And so I'm like, just sing me a cool melody, make a catchy hook. And we're, we'll make it into a song. I can help you get it into a finished song, but you're going to have a hook in your head as a little kid. That's just so out there and perfect that I can't wait to hear it. So I'm working on curriculum. I've got some books and some fun stuff and they're all going to have their little rhyming dictionaries and notebooks. And it's been fun to think back in college of like the things that really spurred me on. Like uh, every single day, we're going to listen to a song and break it down. Intro, verse, chorus, hook. And they're going to learn songs that they have never, <laughs> we're going to break down a song every single class and do all these things. And can't I remember the Mary Slaughter, one of our professors would make us write for five minutes and you couldn't pick up your pencil. 
So it was teaching stream of consciousness. And so you would start writing with an idea, but once you can't pick up your pencil, like ever, you quickly start talking about elephants, jumping a fence. You're, you, you run out, you like, ah, I can't pick it up. I can't pick it up. And so you have to keep going and there's supposed to be no punctuation. Like we're going to make them do that. And I can't wait to see what a 12 year old says, That's amazing. <laughs> but I'm really excited. Awesome. I'm excited to help. Like what class would I have been obsessed with <clears throat> in the seventh grade? And I'm going to try to create that class. I would have mm -hmm. loved that. And see how it goes. Yeah. In seventh grade. yeah it's going to be fun. I love that. You'll be a perfect guide for those creators. So, yeah. I mean, that's it's exciting. Fun. Um, I, you're what Slaughter was doing. I later learned, I'm 90% sure she got from Julia Cameron. I'm sure Julia got it from somebody else, but I should, it's a good plug for the artist way, which has been super helpful oh, yeah. for me as well. Um, and morning pages, uh, something that she talks about in there as a habit, right? Of whether it's three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, uh, three pages, just set some, you know, window of time. I would, I would encourage in working with some people that don't see themselves as writers to just say, Hey, do three minutes, just to give yourself three minutes and see what starts to happen for a month. Um, but just to, to write like that without picking the pen up is it's pretty amazing what it does, not just for like creativity, but even just in your soul of the work it can kind of do that you're like, wow, I feel better. So give it a whirl. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, well, hey, thanks for talking about guides, sharing some of the things yeah. that have helped you guys uh, enjoyed the conversation. I will say, I'll try to do this uh, more often, is the single biggest thing you can do if you're enjoying the show is this. It's not social media. It's going to Apple Podcast, Apple in particular, and just giving a review and a rating. Uh, and it can be one sentence of, wow, great podcast. That is the single biggest thing you can do to help us uh, as we're helping others make and share it. So try to get better about asking for that. And uh, I think other than that, that's it for today. All right. All right. See you guys. Just be here, kid. You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump, jump. And you might think, what if I fall?